Chapter Five of The Court by B. M. Bower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: A Death by Accident. Lone Morgan was a Virginian by birth, though few of his acquaintances knew it. Lone never talked of himself, except as his personal history touched a common interest with his fellows. But until he was seventeen he had lived very close to the center of one of the deadliest feuds of the Blue Ridge. That he had been neutral was merely an accident of birth, perhaps, and that he had not become involved in the quarrel that raged among his neighbors was the direct result of a genius for holding his tongue. He had attended the funerals of men shot down in their own dooryards. He had witnessed the trials of the killers, he had grown up with a settled conviction that other men's quarrels did not concern him so long as he was not directly involved, and that what did not concern him he had no right to discuss. If he stood aside and let violence stalk by unhindered, he was merely doing what he had been taught to do from the time he could walk. Mind your own business and let other folks do the same, had been the family slogan in Lone's home. There had been nothing in Lone's later life to convince him that minding his own business was not a very good habit. It had grown to be second nature, and it had made him a good man for the sawtooth cattle company to have on its payroll. Just now Lone was stirred beyond his usual depth of emotion, and it was not altogether the sight of Fred Thurman's battered body that unnerved him. He wanted to believe that Thurman's death was purely an accident, the accident it appeared. But Lorraine and the tell-tale hoof-prints by the rock compelled him to believe that it was not an accident. He knew that if he examined carefully enough Fred Thurman's body, he would find the mark of a bullet. He was tempted to look, and yet he did not want to know. It was no business of his. It would be foolish to let it become his business. He's too dead to care now how it happened, and it would only stir up trouble. He finally decided, and turned his eyes away. He pulled the twisted foot from the stirrup, left the body where it lay, and led the blaze-faced horse to a tree and tied it securely. He took off his coat and spread it over the head and shoulders of the dead man, weighted the edges with rocks, and rode away. Halfway up the hill... He left the road and took a narrow trail through the sage, a shortcut that would save him a couple of miles. The trail crossed the ridge half a mile beyond Rock City, dipping into the lower end of the small gulch where he had overtaken the girl. The place recalled with fresh vividness her first words to him. Are you the man I saw shoot that man and then fasten him to the stirrup? Lone shivered and threw away the cigarette he had just lighted. "'My God! That girl mustn't tell that to anyone else!' he exclaimed apprehensively. "'No matter who she is or what she is, she mustn't tell that.' "'Hello! Who you talking to? I heard somebody talking.' The bushes parted above a low, rocky ledge, and a face peered out, smiling good-humoredly. Lone started a little and pulled up. "'Oh, hello, Swan.' I was just telling this horse of mine all I was going to do to him. Say, you're a chancy bird, Swan. 
yelling from the brush like that, some folks would have taken a shot at you. Didn't they hit me sure, Swan observed, letting himself down into the trail. He, too, was wet from his hat crown to his shoes that squelched when he landed lightly on his toes. Anybody would be ashamed to shoot at a mark as large as I am. I'd say they're poor shooters. Andy added irrelevantly as he held up a grayish pelt. I got that coyote I've been chasing for two weeks. He was sure smart. He had me guessing, but I made him guess some, maybe. He guessed wrong this time. Lone's eyes narrowed while he looked Swan over. You must have been out all night, he said. You're crazier about hunting than I am. Wet bushes, Swan corrected carelessly. I've been tramping since daylight. It's my work to hunt, like it's your work to ride. He had swung into the trail ahead of John Doe, and was walking with long strides, the tallest, straightest, limberest young Swede in all the country. He had the bluest eyes, the readiest smile, the healthiest color, the sunniest hair and disposition the sawtooth country had seen for many a day. He had homesteaded an eighty-acre claim on the south side of Bear Top, and had by that means gained possession of two living springs, and the only accessible portion of Wilder Creek where it crossed the meadow called Skyline, before it plunged into a gulch too narrow for cattle to water with any safety. The Sawtooth Cattle Company had for years covered that eighty-acre patch of government land, never dreaming that anyone would ever file on it. Swan Volmar was there and had his log cabin roofed and ready for the door and windows before the Sawtooth discovered his presence. Now, nearly a year afterwards, he was accepted in a tolerant, half-friendly spirit. He had not objected to the Sawtooth cattle, which still watered at Skyline Meadow. He was a government hunter, and he had killed many coyotes and lynx, and even a mountain lion or two. Lone wondered sometimes what the Sawtooth meant to do about the Swede. But, so far, the Sawtooth seemed inclined to do nothing at all, evidently thinking his war on animal pests more than atoned for his effrontery in taking Skyline as a homestead. When he had proven up on his claim, they would probably buy him out and have the water still. "'Well, what do you know?' Swan turned his head to inquire abruptly. "'You're pretty quiet.' Lone roused himself. Fred Thurman's been dragged to death by that damn flighty horse of his, he said. I found him in the brush this side of Granite Creek. Had his foot caught in the stirrup. I thought I'd best leave him there till the coroner can view him. Swan stopped short in the trail and turned facing Lone. Last night my dog Yak winds to go out. He went out and sat in a place where he looks down on the valley, and he howled for half an hour. I said then that somebody in the valley has died. That dog is something queer about it. He knows things. I'm going to the sawtooth, Lone told him. I can telephone to the coroner from there. Anybody at Thurman's place, do you know? Swan shook his head and started again down the winding, steep trail. I don't hunt over that way for maybe a week. That's too bad he's killed. I like Fred Turman. He's a fine man, you bet. He was, said Lone soberly. 
It's a damn shame he had to go like that. Swan glanced back at him, studied Lone's face for an instant, and turned into a tributary gully where a stream trickled down over water-worn rocks. Here I leave you, he volunteered as Lone came abreast of him. A coyote's crossed up there, and I maybe find his tracks. I could maybe go do chores for a Fred Terman if nobody dare. Should I do that? What you say, Lone? You might drift around by there if it ain't too much out of your way, and see if he's got a man on the ranch, Lone suggested. But you better not touch anything in the house, Swan. Coroner's likely appoint somebody to look around and see if he's got any folks to send his stuff to. Just feed any stock that's kept up if nobody's there. All right, Swan agreed readily. I'll do that, Lone. Goodbye. Lone nodded and watched him climb the steep slope of the gulch on the side toward Thurman's ranch. Swan climbed swiftly, seeming to take no thought of where he put his feet, yet never once slipping or slowing. In two minutes he was out of sight, and Lone rode on moodily, trying not to think of Fred Thurman, trying to shut from his mind the things that wild-eyed, hoarse-voiced girl had told him. Lone... You mind your own business, he advised himself once. You don't know anything that's going to do anyone any good, and what you don't know, there's no good guessing. But that girl, she mustn't talk like that. Of Swan, he scarcely gave a thought after the sweet had disappeared. Yet Swan was worth a thought or two, even from a man who was bent on minding his own business. Swan had no sooner climbed the gulch toward Thurman's claim than he proceeded to descend rather carefully to the bottom again, walk along on the rocks for some distance, and climb to the ridge whose farther slope led down to Granite Creek. He did not follow the trail, but struck straight across an outcropping ledge, descended to Granite Creek, and strode along next to the hill where the soil was gravelly and barren. When he had gone some distance, he sat down and took from under his coat two huge, crudely made moccasins of coyote skin. These he pulled on over his shoes, tied them around his ankles, and went on, still keeping close under the hill. He reached the place where Fred Thurman lay, stood well away from the body, and studied every detail closely. Then, stepping carefully on trampled brush and rocks, he approached and cautiously lifted Lone's coat. It was not a pretty sight, but Swan's interest held him there for perhaps ten minutes, his eyes leaving the body only when the blaze-faced horse moved. Then Swan would look up quickly at the horse, seem reassured when he saw that the animal was not watching anything at a distance, and return to his curious task. Finally, he drew the coat back over the head and shoulders, placed each stone exactly as he had found it, and went up to the horse, examining the saddle rather closely. After that, he retreated as carefully as he had approached. When he had gone half a mile or so upstream, he found a place where he could wash his hands without wetting his moccasins, returned to the rocky hillside, and took off the clumsy footgear and stowed them away under his coat. Then, with long strides that covered the ground as fast as a horse could do without loping, Swan headed as straight as might be 
for the Thurman Ranch. About noon, Swan approached the crowd of men and a few women, who stood at a little distance and whispered together, with their faces averted from the body around which the men stood grouped. The news had spread, as such news will, even in a country so sparsely settled as the Sawtooth. Swan counted forty men. He did not bother with the women. Fred Thurman had been known to every one of them. Someone had spread a piece of canvas over the corpse, and Swan did not go very near. The blaze-faced horse had been led further away and tied to a cottonwood, where someone had thrown down a bundle of hay. The Sawtooth country was rather punctilious in its duty toward the law, and it was generally believed that the coroner would want to see the horse that had caused the tragedy. Half an hour after Swan arrived, the coroner came in a machine, and with him came the sheriff. The coroner, an important little man, examined the body, the horse, and the saddle, and there was the usual formula of swearing in a jury. The inquest was rather short, since there was only one witness to testify, and Lone merely told how he had discovered the horse there by the creek, and that the body had not been moved from where he found it. Swan went over to where Lone, anxious to get away from the place, was untying his horse after the jury had officially named the death an accident. "'I guess those horses could be turned loose,' he began without prelude. "'What do you think, Lone? I've been to Terman's ranch, and I don't find anybody. Some horses in a corral, and pigs in a pen, and chickens. I guess Terman was living alone.' "'Should I tell the coroner that?' "'I don't know,' Lone replied shortly. "'You might speak to the sheriff. "'I reckon he's the man to take charge of things. "'It's bad business getting killed,' Swan said vaguely. "'It makes me feel damn sorry when I go to that ranch. "'There's the horses waiting for a breakfast, "'and Terman, he's dead over here and can't feed his pigs and his chickens.' It's a white cat over there that comes to meet me and rubs my leg and purrs like it's lonesome. That's a nice ranch he's got, too. Now what become of that ranch? What you think, Lone? Well, how should I know? Lone scowled at him from the saddle and rode away, leaving Swan standing there staring after him. He turned away to find the sheriff and almost collided with Brett Hunter, who was glancing speculatively from him to Lone Morgan. Swan stopped and put out his hand to shake. Lone says I should tell the sheriff I could look after Fred Herman's ranch. What you think, Mr. Hunter? Good idea, I guess. Somebody'll have to. They can't... He checked himself. You got a horse? I'll ride over with you, maybe. I got legs... Swan returned laconically. They don't get scared, Mr. Hunter, and maybe kill me sometime. You could tell the sheriff. I'm government hunter and honest man. I take good care of things. You could do that, please? Sure, said Britt, and rode over to where the sheriff was standing. The sheriff listened, nodded, beckoned to Swan. The court'll have to settle up the estate and find his heirs, if he's got any. But you look after things. What's your name? Volmar? How you spell it? I'll swear you in as deputy. Good Lord, you're a husky son of a gun. 
The sheriff's eyes went up the swan's hat crown, descended to his shoulders, and lingered there admiringly for a moment, traveled down his flat, hard-muscled body and his straight legs. "'I'll bet you could put up some fight if you had to,' he commented. Swan grinned good-humoredly, glanced conscience-stricken at the covered figure on the ground, and straightened his face decorously. "'I could lick you good,' he admitted in a stage whisper. "'I'm a son of a gun, all right. Only I don't never get mad at somebody.' Brit Hunter smiled at that. It was so like Swan Volmar. But when they were halfway to Thurman's ranch, Brit on horseback and Swan striding easily along beside him, leading the blaze-faced horse, he glanced down at Swan's face and wondered if Swan had not lied a little. "'What's on your mind, Swan?' he asked abruptly. Swan started, and he looked up at him, glanced at the empty hills on either side, and stopped still in the trail. "'Mr. Hunter, you've been longer in the country than I have been. "'You've seen some good riding, I bet. "'Maybe you see some men rides backwards on a horse?' "'Brit looked at him uncomprehendingly. "'Backwards?' "'Swan led up the blazed-faced horse and pointed to the right stirrup. "'Spurs would scratch like that if you jerked your foot, maybe. "'You're a good rider, Mr. Hunter. "'You can tell. "'That's a right stirrup, ain't it?' Fred Thurman, he's got his left foot twisted around, all broke from jerking in his stirrup. Left foot and right stirrup. He pushed back his hat and rumpled his yellow hair, looking up into Britt's face inquiringly. Left foot and right stirrup is riding backwards. That's a damn good rider to ride like that. What you think, Mr. Hunter? End of chapter 5 Recording by Tom Penn